thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you. I thank you, God, that uh, you are uh, with us, among us, that, Lord, you care about our situations, our concerns, and, Lord, there are many. Lord, the, the truth is, as we come into this place, we are invited to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And so, Lord, right now, I just want to express on behalf of, of your people that we are in need of a God who saves. That, Lord, we are in need of a God of compassionate and gracious forgiveness. We are in need of a God who, who is bigger than our problems and higher than our mountains and stronger than the power of death itself. And so, Lord, we celebrate that we know this God and he has chosen us as his children. And we, Lord, can call you our Father. Our Father, we are so grateful to know you because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And so, Lord, we, we pray for our church and this community, for each individual and the cares that they are uh, bur burdened with today. May they know relief and satisfaction and a sense, Lord, of courage. Some are, are facing illness and, and Lord, are uh, dealing with issues like cancer and COVID. Others, Lord, they're their issues may be related to finances. Others, Lord, with relationships, maybe with a spouse or with their children, something at work. But Lord, I, I pray that you would tenderly remind us that you are a God who works all things together for good. And we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, we might have insight and wisdom today as we open your word. May we discover the wonder of the, 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 uh, of, of, of the grace of the gospel. May we, Lord, in this season of cultural division and so many uh, noises, Lord, that, that compete for our attention, may we hear the voice of your Holy Spirit and help us to choose to listen and obey. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in our church. Have your way in this pastor. And Lord, may I submit to you completely. Lord, we pray for our needs, the, the needs of our congregation, the needs of our movement, Lord, as we think about our missionaries. We, we think about the Fanes in Thailand and, and, and Lord, the work that they're doing. And we pray that they might be able to return there soon. We lift them up to you and pray that, Lord, you would provide all their needs. Father, I, I, I ask this morning that if anyone doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord, they would have ears to hear, hearts that would be open, and that, Lord, you would just, uh, you would just move in a miraculous and beautiful way in their life today. May this be the day of their salvation. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where we're going to be uh, uh, spending our time this morning, or at least using it as a launching pad for what I'd like to share and what I believe God has placed on my heart. 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse 4 and read down through the end of the chapter. I'll invite you to stand as we receive this word together. 
interesting Old Testament story I'm sure many of you will remember, and maybe this is a, a fresh uh, way to look at in perspective today. Begin, beginning with verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter 8, hear the word of the Lord. The Bible says, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of, up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. May God add his blessing to his word. You can be seated. Those of you who have been a part of our church now for years know that, that I love history and studying uh, this experiment in freedom that we call the United States of America. Now, election season, without a doubt, is always an interesting season, to say the least. Four years ago, during the last election cycle, I found this obituary. Now, this is legit. It read, faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Noland of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday. Some of you are saying, I didn't know that was an option. You know, that's not bad. We've always kind of joked about the painfulness of the election season. This year is probably certainly no different. There's a joke that kind of goes around every four years. And uh, would, would you like to hear it? Uh, Do Donald Trump and Joe Biden are trapped in a boat in the middle of the ocean. Who gets saved? 
America. We do. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's, yeah. This. <laughs> well, this morning, I want us to return to this theme of being citizens of heaven. Reminding ourselves as Christians that we are to ground our lives in something more solid than any politics or ideology. And so this morning, I want us to briefly look at three very important elections in Scripture. And what we will see in each case is that God is actually on the ballot. And as we examine those elections, I think it's going to inform us on another very important election. Now, this first election is a part of Israel's early history. Israel, at the time, was being led by a series of judges. When Israel first occupied the promised land, there was a noble experiment going on where they were living freely in a community under the direct leadership of God. His plan for their society was what the Hebrew prophets came to call shalom, peace. They had, given, uh, they had uh, been given God's law through the Old Testament, the Torah and the Ten Commandments. And so they were to be a people marked by justice and compassion. They were to enjoy security and rest on the Sabbath. They were to be a people who tithed often, giving away their stuff generously so that they would not be conformed with a, a sense of selfishness and materialism. But, but for Israel, there was this sticking point. You know, if I vote for that, then I have to make God my king. I have to surrender my life to him. And I'm not quite sure I want to do that. I, I'm not sure I want him directing me anymore. What, what's more, we, we, when we have these problems... When we have these situations where we face an enemy or a threat, when I'm anxious, do I really just want to live in trust that God is going to take care of me? I'm not sure that's what I want to do. So the leaders of Israel, the elders, come to the prophet Samuel, the, the prophet of Israel, and they told him what they wanted. And the elders said, now... Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And as we read, the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. I want you to hear the sadness in God's heart. What God is saying to Samuel is, and by the way, this is not about what form of government modern nations should choose. What we see here is there is a sense of a spiritual battle, a decision spiritually that the people are making. God is saying to Samuel, this is not about you. This is about their relationship with me. You see, every time the people choose idolatry, Every time people decide that they, 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 uh, they would make mon their lives about their money, or every time they neglect the poor among them, every time they oppress a foreigner and say, oh, you're different, we don't look like, uh, like how you look or sound, every time they forget to take the most care of the most vulnerable among them, the, 
the, the widow or the orphan, every time they decide that they're going to just blow off sexually righteous living, they were saying, God, we don't want you as king. We don't want you to be king. So this is what God does. He says, Samuel, I, I want you to tell them that if they choose a king, the idea here is if you choose to place your ultimate trust in merely human political power, what, is, what they're in for is what power always does to human beings. And so Samuel goes to Israel and says, listen, if you guys choose a king in violation of what God wants you to have, here's what's going to happen. The king is going to take your sons and make them run with his chariots. He's going to conscript them to be in his army. He's going to take your daughters and force them to work in the palace as perfumers and bakers and cooks. He's going to take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves. He's going to take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He's going to take all of it. He will take a tenth of your flocks. You yourselves will become his slaves, and when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. Now, you need to know something. In the ancient world, these were probably the most subversive words about, uh, about royalty ever written. In the Middle Ages, kings would not let this passage of Scripture be read by clergy in church. It would undermine their own authority and what the people would believe about the king and his divine right. So God makes his case. And there is an election. You can choose God or choose a king. Two names on the ballot. There is a God or there is a human king. And I see God waiting, wondering, what's Israel going to say? <laughs> Will they remember me? Will they remember the promise I made to Abraham? Will they remember how I delivered them out of their slavery in Egypt? Will they remember my power? Will they remember the covenant I made on Mount Sinai? Will they remember who I am? Well, the answer is no. Because here is what they say. But the people, the Bible says, refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us. We want a king who can go out and fight our battles. And so God loses the election. People decide that they want to put their trust in political power. And the people have decided and the Bible says, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. I think it's interesting. I think it's worth noting. There's a peaceful transfer of power. God says, okay, you, you get what you want. 
And friends, I'm reminded this morning, if you refuse to take what God wants you to have, God will often let you have what you want to have. You want to go down that road? You really want to have that attitude? You want to really live like that? You really want that to be your relationship? You really want that? That is important to you? Okay. And a lot of times, if we're not willing to learn the easy way from God, he will let us learn the hard way. So if you study the history of Israel, you see they had kings. Some of them are better, some of them are worse. But most of them, let's be honest, are just a mess. That's the way it works in life. That's what power tends to create in people. None of them are, in fact, able to transform society into the vision that God has established for Shalom. And that raises an important point for me as I've thought about all of this in our political arena in our day. Is politics important? Absolutely, it is. But let's never forget, it is not the ultimate arena. You see, friends, even today, we can give in to the temptation and the lie that says political power is the only lever available to us. If you have political power, you can make people do what you want. You can pass laws. You can have an army. Everybody thinks the way to get what we want, the way to fix everything, the way we think it should be fixed, is to get our people in office and keep them there. We'll be the ones who make the laws, then we'll force our will on everybody else and make things the way we want them to be. That's the way a lot of people think. And I will just say, if you believe that political power is the ultimate form of power to make things right, you are at odds with the scriptures and with the teachings of Jesus. For many, many years, Israel suffers with many, many kings. And by the way, and then they lose their kingdom, and they're forced into exile where they have to deal with a whole other set of kings until something begins to percolate in the hearts of the prophets. And what they discover is, is that the human race needs a king like no earthly king could ever establish. The prophet Isaiah puts it like this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder." And of the greatness of his government and peace, by the way, that word is shalom, there will be no end. And how is it going to happen? The Bible says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now think about that. One day a son is given in Israel, and his name is Jesus. And he says, follow me. And by the way, he talks about his kingdom. Now, all campaigns have slogans. I like Ike. Morning in America. Make America great again. Jesus is running a very different campaign, however. He says, the kingdom of God is here. 
you see that God is willing to be our king again. Now, this campaign is different. Let's be honest. He has no force, no warriors, no soldiers to back him up. He's got no money. He has no palace. He has no place even to lay his head. He doesn't defeat his enemies. He forgives them. He doesn't walk around worrying about the polls, apparently. In fact, he publicly predicts he's going to lose. The Lord Jesus says, It is necessary for the Son of Man to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the chief priest and the teachers of the law and then to be crucified. Now you remember, Peter heard those words. And Peter kind of fashions himself as a campaign manager. And he says, wait a second here, Jesus. I got to differ here. This is no way to win the election. You've got to do it differently. You will never say stuff like that and be king. And Jesus said what? Get behind me, Satan. I'm going to die because that is God's will to save the world. So Jesus gets arrested. He's brought before Pilate, the most powerful and political man in the world of Jesus' day. And Pilate says these words. Isn't it interesting? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, but not like you think. And I think Jesus makes what I believe may be the most important political statement ever made. Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. It's real, Pilate. It's more real than you could ever imagine. But it is not of this world. Because if it were, my soldiers would fight for me. See, that's what the kingdoms of the world do. But Jesus says, not me. I, I won't do that. If my kingdoms were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by these Jewish leaders. We would take up swords. We would have chariots. We would have troops. But my kingdom is from another place. But Pilate says... You are a king then. And Jesus says, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason that I was born and came into the world was to testify to this truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Then comes the second election, if you think about it. Friends, it's, it's Passover time in Jerusalem during that day. You remember... The Passover celebrated, in fact, Israel's freedom and independence. When God freed the slaves, freed Israel from their slavery in Egypt. However, it came at a time when Israel had no independence. They were not free. They were, in fact, dealing with an invader, an impressive empire that was in charge. So you can imagine how difficult it was to celebrate the Passover there was a whole lot of tension and strife, especially between Jews and Romans. How do you celebrate your freedom when you are not free? And so the tension is thick. So every year at Passover, what did Pilate do? Well, Pilate set one prisoner free as a kind of a little nod to Israel, a way to, a way to ease the tension, give them a sense that 
that they had some control. And it's at that time that Pilate gets an idea. He says, we'll have an election. I'll offer them Jesus. And you'll remember that there were two candidates on the ballot. One is, one is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The other is a guy named Barabbas. Now Barabbas, if you know him, he was a part of an insurrection attempt. A lowly guy, he was a murderer, not even a leader really, just a thug, a hack. And God was on the ballot a second time. And so Pilate asks them, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Jesus is watching. Will they remember that I lived among them as a carpenter? Will they remember I healed their sick? Will they remember I taught them the things of the kingdom of God? Will they remember I loved the scandalous, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the lepers? Will they remember who I am? And they said, no. No, I don't think so. I don't think we really want that kind of a king. I think we want somebody who will slaughter the Romans. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, what shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And you remember what they said. Crucify him. He didn't do what we wanted. He didn't do what we asked. Put him on a cross and let him die. Now the Apostle Paul comes along a little bit later after Jesus loses this second election. is crucified and this is what he writes. In Philippians, he wrote this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Now I want you to notice what Paul is doing there. He says to you followers of Jesus, you be like him. This is to be your attitude. And let's be honest, that's hard. <laughs> As followers of Jesus, this is who we are called to be. Now, now here's the strange thing. What marked Jesus as the biggest loser to all the world's kingdoms, in fact, marked him as the greatest in the kingdom of God. Because listen to what Paul says, because what he sees is happening is another election. And we see election number three take place. But let me, let me tell you, this election is different than election number one, and this election is different than election number two. Jesus humbles himself and is 
obedient to the point of death on a cross for the forgiveness of my sins and the forgiveness of your sins. And he redeems us. He pours out his life. And therefore, precisely for this reason, God raises him up exalts Jesus to the highest place. And so Paul writes, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, do you see this is a a real different election? There is one office that is at stake. Who is the Lord of heaven and earth? There is one platform, the kingdom of God. There is one and only one candidate who is found to be worthy, Jesus of Nazareth. There is one and only one voter with a vote, and that is God the Father. There will be no recount. There are going to be no hanging chads. There are no lost ballots. And folks, on the third day, we can project a winner. Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And every king and every Caesar and every president must answer to him. Someone say amen. Let me tell you something. There's also a fourth election, isn't there? And this is the one that happens in our hearts. And listen, on purpose or by accident, for better or for worse, all of us must decide who is going to rule our lives. And there are two names on the ballot. Jesus or me. And just like God said to Israel, listen, if you want your will to be done, you can have your will be done. You can put your ego on the throne. You can make as much money as you want and make it about you. You can have as much pleasure as you want and make it about you. You can... Have it all be about you. It can all be. You can get all your safety, all the applause you can get. It can all be about you. You can be king if you want, and there's a word for that. It's called hell. Devoid of God's presence, devoid of God's goodness, devoid of God's grace. You can vote that way if you want to. Or you can decide to follow the one who showed us the way. Who died on the cross for your sins. And calls every one of us to live a life of humility and compassion and justice. And be patient. And to be a part of a kingdom that will have no end. And it seems to me that Jesus is watching and he's wondering. Do they know what I've done? For them, do they remember the cross? Do they remember who I am? What will your answer be?
Because I'm going to tell you this morning, I, despite all that's going on in our world this morning, I am so confident. Listen, I know that our God is not up in heaven wringing his hands wondering, oh my, what's going to happen next? I put so much into these people and into that nation. Let me tell you, God is not worried at all. In the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, who, by the way, is a prisoner of the empire, <laughs> of the Roman Empire on the island of Patmos, he has his vision. I won't give you the whole vision. It's called the book of Revelation, but I'll just point out one thing. And he says, and I saw the holy city. That, that word city is the Greek word polis in which we get our word politics and police. It's an interesting word. He says, I saw the holy city. There is a, a vision of shalom, of peace, a place where there is compassion and justice and righteousness and no more pain, the scriptures say. This new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. You notice something? This is not something that's built on human effort. We don't do this. Up there comes down here. Having been prepared, prepared as a bride made ready and adorned for her husband. And because of God's word, I declare with all certainty, friends, it will happen. It will come. And folks, I'll let you in on a little secret. Presidents come and go. Administrations begin and end. Congresses will come and go. Elections will be won and elections will be lost. Political parties will ebb and flow. Nations will rise and fall. But of his government, there shall be no end. Citizens of heaven. That ought to encourage you this morning. If you made Jesus your king. Have you made him your king? Let's pray together. O oh, precious and glorious heavenly father. Thank you that you have outlined so clearly, Lord, how you have exalted Jesus Christ to be the Lord of lords. Lord, we humbly confess that truth this morning. That you were born for this very purpose and those who hear this truth, Lord, may we respond to it in obedience as well. That, Lord, we would follow you with our whole hearts. So, Lord, we will vote and we will be a part of the process to be certain. But, Lord, we are called your people and we know the end of the story. And so, Lord, we will not be discouraged. We will be encouraged. We will not be anxious, but we will be filled with faith because we are following you. Thank you, dear Jesus, for what you've accomplished on the cross. Father, I pray for that one person this morning who may be listening online. Maybe they are in this room. And they are making a decision right now. Who am I going to follow? Am I going to let it be all about me? Or am I going to decide give my life away and give it to Jesus and follow him.
Lord, there's only one thing that will last, and that is our relationship with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for this promise of hope and the fact, the fact that your kingdom has no end. May we all be found as citizens of that glorious kingdom through Jesus Christ, who forgives our sins and claims us as his own. Oh God, thank you for this hope and this promise. In his name, amen.